0: You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi, Hero.
1: Hey Ronald, how's it
0: going? I'm well, and you are Hiro Mieda from Venus Incubator from Japan. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I think you speak with a very clear American accent. So yeah. usually, I that's not a normal Japanese speaker.
1: speaker yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I get it. I get that a lot. Whenever I meet people, they. They always think I'm from San Francisco, which is not true. So I'm actually born and raised in Japan, it's hard to believe. I was born in a uh, in city called Kobe, I went to an international school there, and that's where I picked up my English. And I uh, went to school in Pennsylvania called Bucknell, uh, where I studied computer science. During my, I guess, I think it was my sophomore year, I actually attempted to do my own startup, which totally failed kind of a battle scar, so I don't really want to talk too much about it. But basically, I, tried, I attempted to build a Myspace for musicians only, and which was a horrible idea, looking back right now. After, after running my startup for two years, I actually met the CEO, or actually the founder, who is now the former CEO uh, of Venus, called uh, Sato-san, Teru Sato. And I was telling him about my battle scar with startups, and uh, he told me why don't why don't I just invest in startups? And he told me it would be a great way to kind of learn how to do startups. And yeah, I, I thought it was a great idea when I when I first heard of it. So I actually started investing so that I can eventually do my own startup. But the next thing I know, I'm actually hooked into investing. So I think investing is going to be my thing for the rest of my life. So the first thing I did actually was 2010 was after I joined Binos was to start a accelerator, a startup accelerator called Open Network. Lab. And this is modeled just like Y Combinator. We actually pretty much copied Y Combinator. And there wasn't anything similar at that time. And actually, at the time, it was interesting times because it was right after the uh, Lehman crisis, right? So no one was investing in startups back then. And we thought it would be a perfect time to start an Accelerator. Just really grateful about... So since then, we've actually invested in about 35 companies through Open Network Lab. It's very, very successful, uh, very good multiples in terms of our entire portfolio we have a company that has like 400x in terms of valuation we have a company which eventually joined a Y Combinator Mm -hmm. Um, which company
0: hit 400x if I may ask
1: yeah, it's it's called Frill. Um, and it's a, basically it's a more mobile C two C marketplace. Obviously, the valuations are very very uh very cheap for you know when you join an accelerator. That's why you can hit something like four hundred or five hundred x. Yeah, we're very 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 pleased with the outcome so far. Um, I guess what makes it unique about this accelerator from all the other accelerators in Japan is that there's pretty strong ties with Silicon Valley. So we have a lot of mentors, someone like Biz Stone, who's co-founder of Twitter, Phil Libin from Evernote, actually came to our accelerator and, and mentor our startups. That's one. And the other is, I think we have like three or four companies that 500 startups invested in. And so I don't think there's any other accelerator in Japan that has done that before, so...
0: We uh, met during a conference in Japan 2010. In fact, it was the Digital Garage conference where Biz Stone and Phil Libin from Evernote attended as well. That's where we met, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, actually, Open Network Lab is a subsidiary of Digital Garage. And so, uh, um, which makes all the sense, right? So, Digital Garage has a lot of clout, Silicon Valley. And, I mean, without them, we won't be able to bring in so many mentors from Silicon Valley. So, right. And we, uh, but
0: we have to also mentioned that the one of the founders of digital garage who is now the head of mit media lab joey ito has a club with silicon valley investors
1: exactly i mean yeah they they were you know without them there's there's no way that we would have this much success with it and they are Uh,
0: the ones who also made twitter successful in japan in the early days before twitter actually became very big as well, yeah, okay.
1: yeah, they, they got in quite early with Twitter and when, when they invested in it. I don't know exactly the details about how the, the market expansion in Japan worked, but it ended up going very well, right? And so they have a huge office in Japan now.
0: Yeah, I met mm. Teru Sato-san in Singapore through uh, you over Facebook chat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he started NetPrice, which eventually evolved to become Binos. Exactly, so exactly. What does Binos actually do? As a company by itself and then maybe we can zoom in a little bit into Venus Incubator.
1: Yeah of course so yeah so technically Venus was actually called NetPrice uh, or netprice.com um it started in 1999 as an e-commerce company uh, selling goods online and this company went public on the Tokyo stock market exchange in around 2004. Since then it started to invest in companies f- first primarily in the ecosystem in Japan And then slowly, like since about 2011, we started investing in companies outside of Japan. So like Indonesia, India, Turkey, USA, and I think we have about like 90 companies worldwide that we invested in. And one of Um, the
0: most successful story is probably the Alibaba of Indonesia, Tokopedia. Am I right? Yeah
1: yeah that's probably the most successful story for us in southeast asia definitely so you know hu- huge fundraising we are very fortunate with that uh, with the us actually we have some good investments too we invest in a company at seed stage a company called instacart they just raise a lot of money so
0: so okay. i'm talking to one of the best venture capital in the world then they have got huh. instacart and your Tokopedia. <laughs> i met Teru sato-san and he's very interesting every time i meet him there's always a new insight and he's very young too right yeah yeah he's uh,
1: 39 about to turn 40 soon but he's it's its crazy how much experience he has he built one of the largest uh, payment gateway company in japan which went public and then he started what was formerly called uh, netprice.com which went public as well right and he's been a ceo for 15 years just Insane amount of experience. He's very, very inspirational. Um, I'm and, very glad that I met him. Yeah,
0: and very humble too. Um, my impression of him was that he's very insightful and he's very different from most Japanese CEOs I've met. Very Def, clear, definitely. methodical, and he's an insightful
1: guy. Very insightful, I, and he's a great investor, right? So I mean, he's yeah. the one who, who who found who found Tokopedia, right? So like, just great investor So Hiro,
0: I want to tap your brain. Um yeah. I spoke to someone about the Japanese gaming scene. That is an entire ecosystem by itself. Mm. But I know I missed out the other parts of the Japanese technology ecosystem mm-hmm. just for the startups and the venture capital side. So yeah. I mean culture wise is very different. I see you blog in Genji for yeah. your blog and I, by the way I read it. I use Google Translate <laughs> just to be just to be straight oh, uh, Okay, yeah. on the record probably really bad translation like i agree but unfortunately it's the best thing we can have for the time being so tell me a little bit about how the japanese startups operate are they localized within an area or are there some like interesting hotspots ongoing within the ecosystem
1: yeah so geographically i mean obviously tokyo is the kind of a hub for startups in japan and a lot of it is because there's a huge density of various industries, right? So like the financial, the entertainment, the fashion, the technology, everything is in Tokyo, basically. Specifically, Shibuya is becoming, uh, is kind of where all these startups are located, mainly because a lot of these successful kind of internet companies are there, so Cyber Agent is there, DNA, which is a multi-billion dollar gaming company is there, Mixi is there which is doing very well and so it's they basically all these uh startups are attracted to that area
0: so where do they localize within an, an entire area like yeah. say like for example you have mm-hmm. a Sandhill hill road for vcs you have block 71 in singapore for mm. entrepreneur startups yeah yeah, equivalent of something like a street or some japanese streets where this is where i was told by my friend Nathan millard from be success that in Korea, Gundam is where all the startups are. So
1: no, oh, okay. I mean, we don't have exactly a street that's like kind of the startup alley. I mean, yeah, I guess the Shibuya that there's this uh hill called the Dogen Dogenzaka, the, the Dogen Hill, I guess. And then, and these are there's a lot of like old old apartments where it's very cheap to rent space. And so a lot of the startups, early startups, they kind of tend to rent space around there.
0: How's the culture? I mean, you, 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 you have been in America, so oh, yeah. it's probably totally different in Japanese.
1: So, the culture, I mean, it's pretty much similar to anywhere else in Asia, but it's a, it's a very conservative culture. There's certain societal expectan- expectancies, so you're expected to go to a good school, a good university, and then there's this very huge pressure uh, f- amongst the students who are graduating to get in a good company, and big companies basically. And then basically spend, you know, the rest of your life in a single company is kind of like the majority of the people in Japan, unfortunately. And, you know, there's every year you hear suicides, you know, of of students who are who weren't able to, you know, find the right job or a good job. And if you miss that kind of window of opportunity, you're kind of doomed forever, which is not true. But that's, you know, how people think in Japan. And so that's the kind of general culture. We're seeing changes. So we are seeing freedom uh, in terms of, so there, we are seeing more and more and more freelancers, uh, more and more people starting companies, more and more co-working spaces, actually. I think there's, there's a huge boom of co-working spaces going on right now. Um
0: the well-known co-working spaces in Tokyo, for example?
1: Well-known. There's the hub. So there's a hub Tokyo, which is not just the Tokyo thing, but there's the hub everywhere else in the world as well. That's one. There's a place called Colab, which is in Shibuya. They are opening a new space. I forgot where it was, but uh, they, you know, because of the popularity, there's a lot. (laughs) You have one
0: too, right? Where where, where does Binos sit then?
1: Well, actually, so... So technically, we don't operate a co-working space, but Open Network Lab does have a co-working space, which is one station away from Shubia, So I guess we're kind of the outliers. So we do have a co-working space that can seat maybe forty people or fifty people in Ebisu. Yeah.
0: Wow. So that mm-hmm. that's Ebisu. That's where Digital Garage is, right? Well. Exactly. Interesting startups. Give me mm-hmm. a few. I mean, I got about two from Benjov in the last. Two podcasts okay. ago, he told me, of course, Otakumon, okay, and interesting.
1: Oh, interesting choices. Yes, they're they're definitely interesting. But companies. those
0: are his invested companies, so there must be ah. much more out there, right? Given Japan yes. is so good in design, culture, hardware, and
1: yes. software. Yes. Generally speaking, so there there's basically three main major wars that are going on in Japan amongst the startups. One is the mobile news war, which is primarily between a company called Gunosi and Smart News. Pretty sure it's been written up about it everywhere. So Gunosi raised about twenty-four million dollars in total. Smart News, I think it was like thirty-six million, and they even raised it from Atomico, which is a very well-known venture capital firm.
0: Yes, they are the fab- co- original founders of Skype.
1: Exactly, there's a war going on between those two and there's the... What's the, what's yeah. the
0: unique proposition? I mean, news startups is content driven, right? Are they kind of like BuzzFeed type news site? Or do they have kind of a unique proposition to monetize that insinuate a news
1: war? Actually, so it's not really like a BuzzFeed like feature. It's, it's more like a curation of various news sources. And so it's trying to become kind of like the, the Yahoo News of mobile. To be honest, like uh, there is very little differentiation between the two. it's almost like uh, I, I mean they they claim that there's like algorithms and those kind of things. But to be honest, I think there's there it's marginal the differentiation. So it, it, a lot of the the kind of the war between the two is about user acquisition um, and how many eyeballs can they get. It is work from what I hear. The daily actives are pretty pretty high, so that's why those two are very valuable companies. Do they, uh, how do they yeah.
0: monetize then? What's the monetization model?
1: As far as I'm aware of, they're uh, both of them are doing native ads. So basically, they basically yeah, it's kind of like n- native ads just for their platform. And I know they're trying to do a few other things, like make eyeballs a little bit more valuable by making uh, creating more relevancy and those kind of things. But yeah, native ads is the main monetization.
0: So you have one wall, which is the c- mobile content news walls.
1: What's exactly. are the other wars in Tokyo? So, so there are two other wars. Um, the other is the mobile marketplace space. So there is Mercari and Frill. Claim I'm invested in Frill, which I mentioned uh, yes, before. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so Mercari, I think they raised about $38 million. Oh, so these are all in dollars, by the way. So $38 million, uh, Frill about $10 million. They're not exactly the same because Frill is more focused on fashion and on women. Whereas Merikari is more um, kind of everything. It's hard to say if, if it's exactly kind of a, a war, but it is becoming a, a space that uh, not only th- those two, but a lot of other players are coming in. So Lime is, is doing exactly the same thing as Mercari and uh, Rakuten is also just recently, actually last November, they recently entered the market as well. So it's becoming a very, very crowded, interesting space.
0: So would you think that Rakuten, in order to defend its competitive advantage, would try mm-hmm. to acquire one of these players?
1: I don't know, these companies are quite expensive, so I'm not, I'm not sure if Rakuten is willing to pay up. Uh, Rakuten <laughs> has
0: acquired um, $900 million for Fiber, $200 million for Viki, you know.
1: Yeah, they can still
0: acquire some more, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, they do have a huge cash reserve, but from my perspective or from what I'm seeing, it seems like a lot of their M&A activities is focused outside of Japan. It looks like if they're ever going to make acquisitions, it's going to be outside of Japan. And for companies inside Japan, I think they're just doing it themselves. I don't think it's a good thing. I feel like they should acquire more companies in Japan. It looks like that's what their strategy is.
0: So taking aside from the marketplace wars, what's another war that is interesting then?
1: So the other one is the crowdsourcing war. So it's kind of the equivalent of freelancer.com. So there's CrowdWorks and Lancers. Uh, so they're both basically, you know, a crowdsourcing design, crowdsourcing engineering work or anything, anything or, yeah, basically you can, anything that can be done remotely. Those two platforms. So Lancers, I think they, I forgot how much they raised. It's definitely more than $10 million. CrowdWorks just went public, right? And and so they have a market cap of, I, I haven't looked at the, their price recently, but it was at one point like $180 million. What
0: Um What on then? What kind of content are they crowdsourcing? No, they're
1: crowdsourcing basically labor, basically. Um, so it's, it's a little uh, bit
0: like TaskRabbit?
1: Yeah, kind of like ta- TaskRabbit, but it's more white collar labor. So it's, it's like okay. Elance, basically. Um, so programmers, designers, those kind of things.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Is there yeah. a big market in Japan? For, for that. I mean, 90, there's 99designs as well, which is quite well known for its...
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's a pretty significant market. I mean, both companies are doing very well. And I think the market is going to continue to expand considering that we're getting more and more freelancers every day. I think it is definitely, there's a market there. I'm not sure how big it is exactly, but yeah.
0: Okay. Any other interesting areas where you see a whole wave of startups
1: there's like uh, what else is there i mean there's there's a a few that's trying to do something in the fashion space so there's like a company called icon which is kind of the equivalent of polyvore in the u.s Hmm. oh there's a lot of kind of so the gnosi and smart news is a news curation mobile play but then there's a lot of uh, content creation play so there's one company uh, which got acquired by dna for about like 30 or 40 million dollars and what they do is they create content basically a lot of content kind of like BuzzFeed and then there's a a few others that are trying to do the same thing and so I think this space is becoming pretty crowded as well yeah
0: so far every Mm -hmm. startup we kind of find an equivalent in the US or in Mm -hmm. other parts of the world have you seen something in Japan that you have not seen in any parts of the world
1: to be honest not really I mean not really actually so a lot of the ideas is some some fork somehow inspired by a lot of the businesses in the US. But if you look at the details very closely, it's actually quite unique. So like talking about frill, I think it's very unique to have something like frill. Like it's probably going to be hard to replicate elsewhere in the world because in Japan, if we go into details, the the, the fashion industry is quite unique. And so there's a lot of kind of low end local brands that has a lot of strong following. Where else? Everywhere else in the world, or most most of the parts of the world, they have national brands, basically, which comes from the U.S. or Europe, basically. the The ecosystem is very different, and so that's why you can create a very a very big and very lucrative community just for a moment, just about fashion. And that's why something like frail is possible in Japan. It might be a little bit difficult to do something like that elsewhere in the world. Even in the mobile news space, like, uh, I, I, I'm actually, actually not sure if there's... I mean, there's a lot of mobile news companies in, in the U.S., but I feel like the approach is, is, is slightly different, right? It, I think uh, it, it's, it's very unique to Japan as well. At the high level, it sounds like it's, it's inspired by the U.S., but if you look actually into in the details, there's, there's something very unique about it.
0: It's a little bit like a cookpad.
1: Oh, yeah, the so a cookpad. You,
0: you don't see a lot of places. Try to replicate it, but they don't uh-huh. seem to get it to the scale of what Kopet has achieved.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. So that's definitely unique, like a Japanese original startup, I guess. It's definitely inbred, or in in it's uh, it's something unique because of the culture, right? So like a lot of uh, we have a lot of housewives, and you know, like stay home housewives who who are every day thinking about what to cook, and especially we're in a country, or Japan is a, is a unique country where. We, you're expected to cook anything from Italian to Japanese to Chinese to anything, right? And so, like, uh, there's very high expectations for, for your cooking skills in, in Japan, right? And so, that's why something like CookPack works. You know, you always need uh, the the latest and the best recipes. And so people will pay a lot of money for that.
0: I'm very impressed. That's the yeah. reason why I come to Tokyo every year.
1: Yeah. No, no, no we I'm, have, actually, yeah.
0: I'm actually very inspired by Japanese design culture, more in the mm. hardware side. Um, mm. My last yes. visit, which was a month two months ago uh-huh. I was going to the design two one two one and I was looking at some of the design stuff that you guys are doing which is mm-hmm. really impressive. When they are entrepreneurs, they are investors. Of course. So any angels that everybody must talk to, uh-huh. VC firms that you know you must go to. I'm I'm sure BNOS is definitely one of them. So <laughs> <laughs> <May> <laughs> you tell me a little bit about BNOS and maybe which range you invest in and then maybe tell me a couple of the other uh, angels or VC firms that are of interest.
1: Yes, yes. Out there. so the venture capital community in Japan, is the majority of it is, are people who are, have, are ex-bankers or ex-consulting or people who came from larger companies, right? And so a lot of these VCs or investors don't have entrepreneurial mm. backgrounds. And so that's kind of one of the biggest problem about our vc ecosystem uh, there are only a few that basically really are kind of like cheerleaders or huge supporters of entrepreneurs and really understands the, the pain of being an entrepreneur if you're just starting off as a new entrepreneur i really recommend uh, like Henri, which is independent vc it's actually a single guy uh, named Henri, actually um and he's 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 running a 20 million dollar fund it's, it's not a big fund but he, he does invest quite aggressively into early-stage companies. Uh, East Ventures is another good company. I mean, they're quite active in Indonesia as well. Yeah, um, East
0: Ventures is Batara Ito of Mixi. He was the yeah. former CTO. Mm-hmm. And um, th- he has a team now in Indonesia doing the investments.
1: Exactly. So. And then his other his counterpart is is Taiga. He's, he's, he's a longtime VC and and he's been around for maybe 10 or 15 years. So they're definitely, they're great supporters of entrepreneurs. I guess if you're looking for larger capital, there's, you know, the kind of the usual suspects like Globus or Jafco, which are, you know, both pretty large funds that's been around for a while. I guess very unique about uh, Japan, or it might be, I'm not sure if it's exactly just about Japan, but uh, there's a lot of larger companies with uh, with venture capital arms, right? And we're like kind of one of the biggest countries in terms of, cash reserves within the corporations and so all these companies don't really don't know what to do with their money so they all decide to start their own venture capital so are
0: talking Bank? softbank
1: softbank well softbank knows how to use their money so i mean they're kind of i mean song is he's in a different game um yeah he's probably
0: but, the m- most interesting
1: of def- definitely all. definitely yeah he, he's definitely he's playing a much different game i mean like i mean he invests in tokopedia but then Also, like he's committing what, like, a billion or ten billion dollars into India, and has aggressively invested in a few companies there already. And so the game he plays is different, and it's definitely, but it's very interesting. It's always fun having close look at what they're up to. Somewhat decently large, multi-billion-dollar companies like DNA, Greer, or Cyber Agent—they each have their own VC arms, right? And so it really depends. I think it's different for every entrepreneur. Like sometimes it makes sense to partner with one than the other. Uh, depending on what kind of uh, st- strategic value or what kind of yeah value you're looking for, so it's it's hard to say like which one is kind of like the go to VC firm. Generally speaking, uh, a lot of these the, the VCs in Japan don't have much operational experience. How we differentiate ourselves is basically you know we are entrepreneurs ourselves and we've actually built companies ourselves. We believe we at least understand the, at least understand you know the kind of mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, go through when building a company, we would hopefully prevent them from doing that and take a shortcut to success. So, so if I yeah. were
0: to dissect a little bit, um, yeah. in Japan, venture mm-hmm. capital or even the angel investment stage, is there something like a seed round, series A, series B, and are all, all, all the venture capital firms a little bit like a lot of other Asian venture capital firms where they invest in orange rather than confine themselves in a certain sector?
1: Seems like a lot of the VC firms kind of have their comfort zone in a very selective stage. So like some VC firms would only do Series A or above, some would only do seed. We're starting to see some larger firms try, trying to do seed, but it seems like it's, that transition is not going well. It's, what's interesting about Japan is actually it's quite easy to go public. So a Series maybe C or a Series D equivalent, where your valuation is at right around $100 million, uh, a lot of companies would decide to go public instead of raising money, private money, which kind of limits the valuation you can get as an early stage company. So, a C stage company, it's really hard to get somewhere above like two or three million dollars in valuation. As a Series A company, it's very hard to somewhere to go somewhere above twenty or thirty million dollar valuation, right? Because you can go public at a hundred million dollar valuation usually, and so, um, so, yeah,
0: this is this is the interesting thing I always see. Japan doing so mm-hmm. Japan is always kind of the gateway to all u s companies mm-hmm. the first look part of call for most successful mm-hmm. u s tech companies is typically mm-hmm. Japan mm-hmm. before they try sure. to go into Southeast Asia before they try to go into china it makes sense um which makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. cultural wise um J- Japan is a very different i I mean it's Japan and the rest of Asia sometimes because mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. of the ecosystem and the d- development so but in the venture capital, given that mm. shouldn't Japan actually have more startups in that stage, or is somehow bypassed because of the Japanese conglomerates, and so you never actually seen a startup culture, and it's only become very nascent in the last two, three, um, five years, I guess, since you started mm. around two thousand ten, where it's starting mm. to see an active Japanese scene. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see Sokoa in Japan, you don't see Greylock in Japan, but you see Greylock mm. in China, you see Greylock in Sequoia in India. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, do you are you going to see that ha- c- coming on, or is that is that going to be more local Japanese firms?
1: I think it's... yeah. So from
0: the US side, I,
1: the I think it's startups
0: good. is in in Japan. We know that.
1: Yeah, well, well, they don't really have a team active in Japan, but they do invest in companies in Japan.
0: Um, David wife is Japanese, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he comes he's here, to here very often.
1: Yeah, very often, like three or four times a year. But uh, I think it's going to be quite local. It's going to stay local. A lot of it has to do with the emphasis on relationships. So, like, basically, it's very hard for an outsider to have the right relationship and be successful. So it's very hard to understand, right? And so if you're born and raised in a different country or with a different background, it's very hard to understand how things work here. And so I think it's going to be a very local thing, especially... Well, in, in the v, in the venture capital space, the, the other thing is the the price of the companies is quite modest, considering how much money the some of these companies are making. You know, their valuations are not that big. That could be another reason why we don't see a lot of foreign private investors uh, investing in the VC venture capital scene in Japan. And the other is basically you know, the the upside potential because our uh, shrinking population, right? And so i mean like indonesia is you know the penetration rate is increasing the you know the population of the internet users increasing uh, those kind of things right so there's there's a lot of growth room for growth in, in indonesia right and a lot of room for growth in india right and but to in japan not so much right in some perspectives we're, we're shrinking because of that it becomes less attractive but still you know we're like the third or fourth you know largest economy so it's, it's definitely there's still a lot of opportunities it's probably more attractive for kind of us companies to enter japan to grab market share rather than being a vc uh, coming into japan and try to uh, be involved in the upside
0: so the yeah. silicon valley connection i know mm-hmm. be is very involved in making sure that the startups have some form of cultural yeah mix with the silicon valley thing mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that i mean you go to silicon valley i think once or twice a year right
1: oh no much more than much that more than. I go, <laughs> so tell me tell me, tell me <laughs> what,
0: what exactly you do with the japanese companies from yes yeah. so silicon valley
1: yeah so so i go to probably silicon valley once once a month or once in two months. One mission is to invest in companies in Silicon Valley that's why we're in companies like Instacart but um, we're hoping to basically someday, our our plan is basically to get involved early in a lot of the c stage companies and when they're at a stage where they need to expand to Japan we would kind of be their gateway for that and so that's one reason why I go to US a lot. Uh, The other reason is actually to bring to import knowledge and experience and so what we do is actually we we actually run a lot of events and run a lot of conferences. We would invite speakers from the U.S. and entrepreneurs from the U.S. and have them basically, you know, share their wisdom and their experience to the Japanese startup community. A lot of Japanese entrepreneurs and Japanese VCs are rooting for entrepreneurs to go outside of Japan to go to Silicon Valley. But I'm actually the reverse. I'm actually encourage. I want to encourage more Silicon Valley entrepreneurs instead of come to Japan. I think it's going to, be, it's going to help. Uh, it's, going to be, it's mutually beneficial because we have a decent sized market for them to, to capture and the other is the Japanese entrepreneurs can be exposed to the ideas and experience in the U.S. and so uh, it would create more diversity and have a stronger foundation in, for, the, for the community itself.
0: Mm. But, the, mm. but their part of core typically is Japan first. I mean if you've seen a lot of companies in the U.S. typically Japan is still their first choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely their first choice for a lot of the startups when they when they think about Asia.
0: So how about the Japanese conglomerates? I mean, okay, my, I always remember Sony, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they are not, not in the, their heydays now. They so yeah. have SoftBank, Rakuten. Um, mm-hmm. It seems that they are not involved in the ecosystem. It's a little bit like Samsung in Korea. So Samsung mm-hmm. spends a lot more time in global mm-hmm. funds and they have a lab, they have an accelerator, they have a VC arm in Silicon Valley, but they do none of that in Korea.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you
0: seeing exactly the same thing happening in Japan?
1: They want to do something, but it's more like they don't know. And, and the other thing is they're already such a big company that like, you know, dealing with companies that are like, you know, a few million dollar valuation or something that can potentially become a hundred million dollar valuation doesn't really kind of move their gear, shift their gears, right? The priority always becomes global expansion or other operations overseas and those kind of things. It's very difficult. If you want to get to a certain stage of size, it's very hard to try to continue to be involved with the startup ecosystem. Unless the CEO himself is is like a founder and like there's still that DNA within the company. Unfortunately, you know, they've already gone through a few generations of CEOs and so uh, they might have lost that.
0: But the interesting part is that the ones that are setting up the corporate VC funds are typically the gaming companies.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Is typically, by,
0: is, is it by design or by coincidence?
1: You know, once you become you're a gaming company, like gaming is almost like a content business, right? You know, a lot of the CEOs, they basically try to think about ways to diversify their revenue other than gaming, right? Um, that's why they would try to form a VC arm to either get more exp- inspiration or maybe for potential acquiring. Uh, that's one reason why they would always they would have a vc arm and the other reason is because you know gaming companies generate so much cash uh mind as well like <laughs> spend it to, for the ecosystem right and so it's probably not coincident once you're a somewhat successful gaming company you would try to run a vc you would try to start a vc arm mm.
0: mm-hmm. so are you gonna start a vc arm some vc arm someday <laughs> oh you already have a vc arm anyway right? uh, i mean yeah we have <laughs> yeah we have VC,
1: so, yeah. Okay.
0: I I have one more thing to talk about, talk to you about. It's of about course. Japanese innovation. Mm. I mean, across whole of Asia, I would see Japan having the largest share in innovation. I mean, uh-huh. just think in terms of Nobel Prize winners, you have the highest in yeah. number, and yeah, they're yeah. all homegrown, mm-hmm. unlike mm-hmm. the Chinese ones who are all living in America, unlike any parts of the other of the developing world that usually scientists that live in America, a lot of where homegrown innovation is going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So help me to understand this. You guys started mobile first, yeah. but then Apple took it mm-hmm. and make it global. Okay, mm-hmm. um, You got robotics, which is one mm-hmm. of the most advanced in the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that going to happen again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so a lot of the innovation as as you know comes from larger very very large institutions or research uh, institutions as well right so so the the, the mobile a kind of ecosystem ap- application ecosystem was started by Docomo, right? And they're a huge, huge company. The robotics. A lot of these robotics. I-, I guess SoftBank is making some attempts as well. A lot of the research institutions are doing uh, uh, some interesting things in ro- robotics as well. And so what happens is when you're in at such large larger organizations or research institutes, it- it's just very little incentive and basically trying to commercialize it really fast. So for lar- larger institutions, they can do a lot of power play, right? And so there, there isn't a lot of emphasis on trying to become superior in user experience or trying to become be very superior in uh, usability and those kind of things. With research institutions, really not much in- in incentive-, incentive to commercialize really fast. I think that's the main reason why, although we come up with a lot of great innovative technology, it's somehow in, in terms of user experience and those kind of things, it, it's a little bit not so great, to be honest. And and so, yeah, it's a yeah, lot of. It in-
0: feels very sad because uh, in the last podcast, uh, Samir Singh and I had this chat about Asia yeah. companies, and then we were like, okay, there is this scenario. Someday it's going to be. A, we, we actually predicted that robotics is one of the next big waves. Mm-hmm. And. The ending statement was, you know what's gonna happen, it's gonna be invented and it's so cool in Japan, and somehow some American company is gonna take <laughs> it and market the hell out of it and become uh-huh. an American brand. Yeah. And, yeah. And then the the people who invented it just forgot about it that it's actually originally <laughs> invented in Japan.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I actually have a theory. So I haven't validated this. I think Jap- Japanese consumers are too smart, to be honest. They're too smart that even a crappy usability or you know if, even if you have yeah cra- crappy uh, user experience or usability people will figure out how to use it in japan it ends up becoming very cluttered and very kind of a lot of words and not very intuitive uh, and those kind of things and so it's very hard for something like that to become a global platform or a, a global yeah basically global not platform
0: true. i mean i i i i go to japan every year mm-hmm. i go to Loaf, yeah. i go to tokyo and mm-hmm. i look at products i mean i'm a product um, geek, okay? I, mm-hmm. I test drive every single product in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Your UI mm-hmm. is amazing. For I mean mm-hmm. the human interaction is just amazing. I could basically be a distributor for some of those products, you know, and make a killing in Southeast Asia if I seriously want to do it. But of course, that's not, that's not scalable. But mm-hmm. you do have very good user UI.
1: Yeah. Not, not
0: in the software side, but the hardware yeah. side is just amazing.
1: That- Definitely, there's a lot of great product design. So like, I mean, like you said, like in Loft and like in Tokyo Hands, there's a lot of great product design, but somehow that's not translated into software. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not really sure about that, why, why that's happening.
0: But then it also doesn't translate into turning it into a big company, right? I mean, you, you could, you know, I, I have this theory as well. I think Apple is a Japanese company. <laughs> I don't know whether you have this thought ever, you know? Oh, well, there's a lot of Japanese influence, right? Like, yeah, yeah. like your- I'm sure it is. Okay, look, in Apple, when you uh-huh. start with a job, you only uh-huh. focus on that job. That's so Japanese company. Uh-huh. You never, you never, I mean, you get, you get higher pay, but your uh-huh. rank or your fo- responsibility is always limited to that role.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So which makes Apple uh-huh. a very different company because once you go in and you're stuck in this role, you're dead. You're not going to uh-huh. climb up anywhere else in that. You're not going to be shown leadership or whatever. uh, like other companies, this this is a very Japanese kind of thing, like, you know, your Studio Ghibli, where it's the Mm -hmm. same guy drawing the same animation for the 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a word for that. Yeah, and no successor is planned or whatever, even Jiro.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's kind of, kind of, it's called shokunin in in Japan, but basically. There's a term for it. Yeah, we have a term for it. It's called shokunin. Basically, you're very, very, like, like, unimaginably very skilled, very polished skills in a very specific thing, like a very specific task, you know, and it's very hard for anyone, it would take tens of, you know, tens of years to basically you know, uh, acquire such skill, basically. And so that's, that's how refined the skill is, and, and so, uh, yeah, that's definitely a Japanese thing.
0: I, I can tell you, my wife and I just basically spend every year there. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. just going to Kyoto, really looking at how you all do interactive design with, I mean, mm-hmm. mostly hardware, but yeah, the, yeah. the craftsmanship is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Not, nowhere else I can find that. True. So I guess the final question I have is, where do you see the Japanese startup ecosystem going? I'm sure this is, this is something that you think a lot every day because oh, you're man. so passionate about the <laughs> ecosystem itself.
1: I think we'll have modest growth in many perspectives. So I think we'll continue to have more and more venture capital spending. Uh, we'll continue to have more and more entrepreneurs, but it's going to be very, very modest. That you know, we're just, there's no way we're going to reach a scale of you know USA. And so that's what's going to happen for the next five to ten years, unless something kind of almost catastrophic happens. And this is what I said in a different interview, but I think we need just, huge, we, just we need much more diversity, much more diversity and, you know, and to, we're, we're such a homogenous culture and uh, a country as well as, as a, people are not used to being different. And, and in order to, for entrepreneurship to basically really flourish, people need to be, people need to be used to the fact that, you know, it's okay to be different, you know, unless that happens. What's going to happen is we're just going to have modest growth in in these things, and so it's not going to be so exciting, to be honest. If you look at macroscopically, it's not going to be so exciting. I mean, you might see some very interesting companies come out, and I'm I'm sure we're going to see interesting co- companies come out, like uh, uh, valuable companies come out. But uh, it's not going to be like you know fifteen billion dollar company billion dollar companies appearing every year, like what it is in, in Silicon Valley, right? So well, like, we have two influential
0: companies in the world. One is called SoftBank. The other one is called Uniqlo.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah they're everywhere they are everywhere so i mean we'll have those kind of companies but still you know if you overall it's it's like if you look at just the, the macroscopic numbers it's it's probably not going to be so exciting i think what we need is kind of to become like a singapore basically i think we just need to basically become a country where we accept a lot more immigrants and kind of uh, a country where kind of english is the standard language and you know, and have a lot of diversity. And if if we really want to change things, I hope that happens. But if it doesn't, then it's just going to be very modest growth. And then so the consumer space will be still interesting for the next maybe five to 10 years. But because of the shrinking population and the aging demographic, what's going to happen is we're going to see more and more like exportable ideas. So basically, like uh, things like robotics, obviously. Um, or even like enterprise businesses and and those kind of things will probably flourish more if you look at like the 10 to uh, 30 year range Mm. yeah Mm
0: -hmm. so help my audience how do they find you
1: how do they find me um well you can find me on twitter uh it's at dj tokyo or you know you can go to my blog uh, go to com and uh, you'll probably figure out how to how to get in touch with me to do that. So and
0: turn on Google Translate if they don't speak native Japanese. Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> I, I'll I'll try to start blogging in English. If we, you know, it's it's one of my kind of resolutions this year. Really, I mean, so. I
0: mean, I mean, it's quite cool actually. Whenever I come to your blog, so I yeah. just turn on the Google Translate and I just read from there. But but the it's interesting because I always wanted to to get into a sense onto what it mm. is like from a Japanese viewpoint. So um well you can find me at Bleong CW or at BernardLeong.com. Mm-hmm. And uh for analyze Asia, yes we got the domain analyzeasia.com Asia dot com with a S or analyze dot Asia. You can also follow us at analyze Asia, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you can definitely help and put some comments there. We got some interesting feedback and yes we got it working on overcast in the last two days. And thank you once again, Hiro. And definitely you. you have to come on to the show next time. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much.